Will they or won't they? That's the question everyone is asking about Russia and Ukraine. Reports on Friday that Putin's plans to push ahead this week really spooked the markets late in the day on Friday. And an hour-long call between Putin and Biden did nothing to ease that uncertainty over the weekend. So that's how we start the week. And inflation hasn't gone away. And COVID is still around, of course. All in all, it's not the best start to the week. Sorry about that. And it's Valentine's Day and I forgot to buy a card. It just gets worse, doesn't it? It's Monday, the 14th of February 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, equity markets didn't finish the week too well last week. The Nasdaq was down 2.8% on Friday. The S&P lost 1.9%. The Eurostox 50 lost 1%. So did the ASX 200. There were gains in Tokyo, but that was about it. Those big losses in the US on Friday were down from a midweek peak, but over the week, the Nasdaq was still down 2.2%, and it all happened late in the session when the VIX index shot up from around 23 up above 30 for a while with all this Ukraine talk. And bond yields fell sharply down nine basis points for 10-year treasuries, although up across Europe and Asia, 10-year Aussie bonds were up 11 basis points, over 2.2%, up 13 basis points for two years. So does the RBA still think it won't lift rates this year? Well, we've got some news on that. These are the strongest yields since February 2019. And big rises in oil. WTI is up 3.6% on Friday. Brent up 3.3%. Iron ore climbed 3.7% last week. It's up over 60% over the last few months. And the US dollar gained half a percent on Friday. uh, And that surge on Friday afternoon was basically the only gains it made last week. It was pretty flat until all the Ukraine talk started. As a result of that, the Aussie lost 0.4% on Friday. But over the week last week, including that Friday loss, it actually gained 0.9%. The euro, though, lost 0.7% on Friday, and that added to the losses over the week, which ultimately saw it uh, 0.9% down. So a very strong risk-off mood uh, late in the week last week. I think it's fair to say the reasons are very obvious. Uh, let's get NAB's Tapas Strickland take on it. It is that word Ukraine Tapas. Everyone's uh, a bit spooked by the possibility that something might happen this week. And that happened on Friday when uh, a PBS reporter basically said that the uh, the US believes that uh, Putin has decided already to invade Ukraine. He's already communicated those plans to the Russian military. Two Biden administration officials said that they expect the invasion is going to start as soon as uh, this week. So, yeah, how's the market going to react? I mean, is the, the market's already obviously premeditated for this, but it's just going to get worse if it happens, isn't it? Uh, good morning, Phil. Yes, there was definitely those Russia-Ukraine headlines that drove that significant risk-off move late Friday. And as you noted, um, the National Security Advisor in the US said there was a distinct possibility that there will be major military action very soon. He's been yeah. saying that for quite some time, but there had been some thought because the Winter Olympics were on in Beijing that uh, Russia, if it was intending to uh, make an incursion in U- in the Ukraine, was going to show restraint until the Olympics were finished. And uh, indeed, the Winter Olympics finish up on the 20th of February, which is this Sunday. So that's got a lot of people talking about whether uh, Russia does decide to make an incursion into the Ukraine there. And um, one headline that really got the market moving was, uh, was the old atom of um, don't necessarily – Look at what I say, but look at what I do. And in that yeah. instance, the US withdrew most of its embassy staff from the Ukraine. And in particular, Russia also said it was withdrawing diplomats to optimize staffing uh, in Kiev. Uh, so that does have the tongues wagging in terms of uh, what Russia may do. We're still no closer, really, in terms of getting a 
resolution in terms of whether they will or, or not. All, all we can really say is Russia has 130,000 troops on Ukraine's border, and yep. um, there's a relatively narrow window um, for a land-based uh, incursion to occur, and that will likely be in the next two weeks if it does occur. Uh, in terms of how markets would react to that, um, markets I don't think have uh, priced in too much of a chance of a Russian incursion in Ukraine so far, and you kind of saw that uh, reaction on Friday because not much was, was priced in. So you obviously seen Brent rise by around 3.3 basis points in equities for quite sharply there. Um, the key thing is whether this escalates further or whether it doesn't. Um, it doesn't look like um, the US or its allies has appetite to escalate it too much further and look like they're going to use sanctions if there were to be an incursion. Uh, in that sense, you'd have to say the biggest impact is probably on, on European markets, just given the yeah. very tight trading relationship that uh, Europe has with Russia, particularly Germany. Well, I mean, the US is, is becoming a safer bet in so many ways right now, isn't it? Not only because of that, uh, but also it's less impacted by the fuel crisis. I mean, oil prices going up, but, uh, you know, around the world, but so is the rig count in the US. So they're producing more domestic oil. So we've got, I noticed 635 rigs in the latest Baker Hughes rig count, which is a 60% increase on last year. Uh, and, uh, yeah, equities taking a hit, except defence stocks, <laughs> funnily enough. They were doing very well on Friday, uh, even as the indices generally fell. So, do, I mean, does this mean it, we're just going to see continued strength if, if something does happen or if it just gets prolonged and the, this tension doesn't go away? We're just going to see the US dollar continuing to rise? Uh, I think it's quite likely that on more geopolitical he- headlines you do get further impetus uh, to the US dollar. Uh, what's important, though, is if that two- to three-week narrow window that many geopolitical analysts are talking about comes and goes, uh, then you could see some reversal of, of these moves. And in terms of how it affects central banks, uh, by the time central banks move, um, sorry, by the time central banks meet next, it'll, it'll be March. Mm. And uh, most likely we'll get a little bit more light in terms of what exactly going to go on in terms of Russia and Ukraine. Right. But what does it mean to the expectation now for the Fed? I mean, we would sort of, I mean, we were talking last week about the idea of a half percent rate increase was looking unlikely. Uh, it also seems, you know, very unlikely now that there'll be any sort of emergency measure before the next meeting, uh, which had been talked about by some as well, uh, because they released their schedule for bond buying for the next month. So they're not going to lift rates while they're still buying bonds. Uh, so we can assume that's not going to happen. But also, I think the expectation is it's just going to be quarter percent next month, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so um, all, all that, those expectations actually moved down outside of the kind of Russia-Ukraine headlines. And mm. there was a concerted effort by a number of Fed officials to push back on the notion of a 50 basis point hike in March. And indeed, James Bullard, uh, when he made those comments on Thursday, which really roiled markets, was fairly open in terms of um, not having made up his mind on a 50 basis point hike. So it was a case of markets really um, running away with, with with an idea there. But um, it was just notable that uh, CNBC reported um, that they, found several Fed officials were already looking for a bad inflation number on Thursday and that it was not substantially worse than expected. And so um, in that sense, uh, they're not going to respond to a more aggressive rate hike path. Um, so I thought that was fairly interesting. Um, and the second one was um, three Fed officials spoke on the record and the Fed's Bostic said his views haven't changed for three to four rate hikes, beginning with a 25 basis point hike. The Fed's Barkin said he would have to be convinced uh, for a 50 basis point hike. And the Fed's Daily has been on the wires uh, several times over the past couple of days, um, saying history tells us that Fed policy that is abrupt and aggressive can have a destabilizing effect on uh, the 
economy. So it looks yeah. like there is a concerted effort by Fed officials to walk back the prospect of a 50 basis point hike. And as a consequence, you've seen market pricing uh, shift quite lower. So I think there's now a 50% chance of a 50 basis point hike in March priced in, whereas it was almost fully priced in uh, uh, early on Friday. And then the other factor that's out there, um, and no doubt we'll come to this in a little bit more detail, was there was a very weak University of Michigan Consumer yeah. Confidence uh, read. Um, and in fact, that Consumer Confidence read at 61.7 is now at its lowest level since October 2011. Yeah. Exactly, and uh, and and if you look at that, I mean, that's the uh, that, that's the as it that's the current situation, isn't it? Consumer sentiment. If you look at the uh, the future expectations, that's down even lower, isn't it? And then if you look at in- expected inflation in that report, uh, that's nudged up slightly, uh, up to five percent, uh, up a bit from January, three point one percent over the next five years. So more inflation fears. So hardly surprising that sentiment's going down because everyone is expecting they're going to have less money at the end of the year. Uh, definitely about it. What is interesting about that is the consumer sentiment index really started diving back in uh, back in July last year, so mm. somewhat predating some of the most recent acceleration in inflation, and so that may suggest um, some of the reason why consumer sentiment is at so such low levels isn't totally all due to inflation fears. And indeed, the survey write-up notes um, the index is now signaling the onset of a sustained downturn in consumer spending. Uh, the depth of the slump, however, is subject to several caveats that have not been present in prior downturns. So I think for some in the markets out there, that will be one signal, um, a one warning signal out there that uh, maybe the Fed doesn't need to hike rates by all that much to crimp uh, consumer demand out there. And you have to remember, as, as you noted before, in, in inflation is high and um, oil, oil prices are also high as well. So that's acting as some kind of restraint in terms of spending mm. as well. And bond yields, incredibly choppy. So obviously uh, the, the the big rise in yields after Thursday's CPI read in the United States, uh, then that came back down again. Are you saying some of that will be because, uh, because you know, sort of a re-evaluation of, the, of, of that CPI um, perhaps uh, and, you know, the fact that the, the Fed went um, too distracted by it? But a chunk of it, obviously, because we saw when it happened, it was over the Ukraine tensions. So oh, definitely. So how is that going to play out now? Are central banks going to be more cautious if there's a war? Does it, you know, are they going to moderate their behaviour and how are bonds going to behave as they sort of get pulled between on the one side, you know, the actions of central banks and geopolitics on the other side? Yes. Yeah, so for as long as those geopolitical headlines and fears remain there, I think there will be a bit of a bid to, to bonds there. Uh, yeah. But importantly, uh, these geopolitical things can be resolved relatively quickly or can be um, in a bit of a stalemate for a prolonged period of time um, yeah. and in that environment. So I'd, I'd be looking over the next couple of weeks. Things are going to be fairly volatile as uh, those Russia-Ukraine headlines go around. If we do get some clarity that uh, Russia is not intending on making an incursion and you do get some signs of uh, troop withdrawal from the uh, borders of, of the Ukraine, uh, yeah. then you're likely to see a little bit more Reversal and coming back more towards the discussion in terms of central banks. But just worth noting, um, the five-year, one-year oil forward swap in in the US is currently trading at 1.75%, uh, and that's from 1.87% on Thursday and well below the Fed's neutral rate of uh, 2.5%. So markets are still very much discounting uh, in terms of how high uh, the Fed can take rates in this cycle. Uh, and indeed, you're actually starting to see curve inversion in, 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 in some parts of the curve. So you look mm. at the sevens, tens curve, it's now actually very slightly inverted minus 0.8 basis points and fives tens are on the verge of inverting at plus eight basis points as well so um, it does suggest that the bond market is fearing um, that the fed will not have to hike rates very far in order to slow demand 
Or is it, or is it saying that they feel they're going to take it too far and we're going to end yes, up with recession? Yes, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and also on the, you know, on the caution side, we've got Christine Lagarde. Um, I mean, is she going to use this as a, as a reason to be more dovish? She said on Friday that raising rates wouldn't save any of the current problems in Europe, of which, of course, there are many, uh, including, obviously, what's, what's happening to the East. So is, so is the ECB going to be more dovish, in other words? Uh, it, it, it's unclear here. I, I think it gives them a reason to remain cautious and push back mm. on, on market pricing. Uh, but you have to remember, if, if there is a further rise in oil prices, a further rise in gas prices, uh, then that is going to feed through to through to inflation right. and to yep. input costs in a second round sense as well. So they have to be relatively careful there in, in that sense. Yeah, although she's saying that's not going to solve the problem. I mean, that's been their position, hasn't it, for a long time? Is it is, it, is raising rates actually going to fix it for them? Look, uh, Philip Lowe, the RBA, Philip Lowe was uh, uh, giving his testimony on Friday. We saw quite a big response to this, didn't we, in, uh, in the bond markets in Australia. Uh, he's gone from the idea that, you know, we're not going to raise interest rates to, well, maybe, maybe it's plausible, uh, to now, in uh, to use central bank speak, it's consistent with their central scenario, which is, I think, him saying, yes, we probably will, isn't it? Yes, and uh, I thought the uh, Governor Lowe's testimony on Friday was very revealing uh, in the sense that the RBA acknowledged their central scenario, so where they see the base case for the economy is consistent with rate hikes later this year. And now that's the first submission by Governor Lowe. Previously, uh, people had been thinking it was only if the data surprised uh, to the upside that the RBA could be dragged into hiking this year. And what that also means is if the data surprises to the upside, then possibly you get the RBA hiking a little bit earlier uh, in this year. Um, And so a lot of people were talking about, does that mean the next hike is in May? Does it mean it's in August or does it mean it's in November? And uh, we're none the wiser in terms of that, but what we do know is the central scenario is probably consistent with a rate hike in November, and NAB's forecast is the RBA to uh, lift rates in November. If we were to get some pretty punchy CPI prints, then you'd have to say every meeting is probably live in the second half of this year. Now, it's a relatively quiet day today. We get uh, PMIs for New Zealand, so we've got to see how uh, producer prices are heading there. And uh, James Bullard at the Fed is talking later on today. Why is that important uh, this time around, do you think? Well, it was really Bullard's comments that world markets on Thursday. Uh, and uh, Bostic made similar comments in an FT interview going back a couple of weeks, and then he walked back those comments a few days later. So we'll be looking quite closely at whether uh, Bullard does moderate his language a little bit um, on CNBC uh, later today. And, and Yeah, and there's a bit going on later on in the week, isn't there? So uh, Japanese GDP numbers tomorrow, the RBA minutes, the UK employment numbers. But if we want to keep an eye on inflation, then obviously producer prices in the US uh, is going to be particularly interesting later on tomorrow night. Isn't oh, it? yes, yes, definitely. And the, and the other one to look out for in the US, particularly in regards to consumer sentiment being at such low levels, is retail sales on yep. Wednesday. And retail sales fell quite sharply in uh, December. And so we'll be looking um, exactly whether there's a small bounce there. And then on the Australian data front, we also get labour market data for January on mm. Thursday. Uh, and the key thing with that labour market data is it's going to be impacted by the Omicron uh, disruptions that we're being seeing in the economy. And it's quite possible uh, in that environment, the unemployment rate actually falls quite sharply as the participation rate falls, as uh, people who would have normally been termed unemployed just give up the search for work. So um, the consensus there looks for the unemployment rate to be unchanged at 4.2%, uh, but we think there is a risk that it falls uh, further uh, towards uh, 4%. There we are. We almost got through an episode without mentioning the Omicron word. Uh, good to talk, Tapas. Uh, we'll catch you again soon. Thanks. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. And that's it. That's Monday morning on The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.